All right, guys, welcome back to the Buck Fever podcast. We have another really cool episode for you today. Uh, we have another buck that hit the dirt, and this time it was a little bit closer to home for us. Um, so we have a, a guest here tonight that is pretty special. Um, my dad is joining us, Brandon Switz. Um, so first things first, Dad, how are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing great, son. How are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm I am well. I actually uh, just got done um, with the the next portion of editing the video on this awesome story. Um, just to take a break here to recap it on this podcast, and then go back to editing editing it some more. So I am uh, I'm all in on this story tonight. That sounds good, and I you know. I, I can't wait for that video to come out. I'm, I'm playing it all through my mind and, you know, the footage that we were able to get and uh, really looking forward to seeing how that how that turns out. It, it's really cool just the way that I, I've kind of looked at it now and I've got everything laid out and, um, you know, just some of the things that we had said in some of the interviews that we did leading up to it, obviously not knowing that you were going to shoot that buck just kind of some of the things that we said of like, oh, you know, he showed up last night and, you know, just some of those exchanges that we had where looking back on it now, it's like, oh, that's pretty cool that we ended up shooting him because it really ties everything in with that video. So it's going to be a really cool one. Awesome. Can't wait. Yeah, me neither. So that'll be out the Monday at five o'clock following this podcast episode. But we wanted to do a recap of the story with all the details, some of the things that happen behind the scenes, because no matter how much you film and whatever, you just can't really get the full story in the scope of one video. So when that comes out, it's going to be really cool to watch, and you definitely should. But tonight, we're going to preview it by really telling the full story and, and kind of getting into things here. So I'll let you kick it off, but I know we've we've obviously been talking about it, and the two of us pretty much lived the full story but it really started a couple of years ago yeah i mean i don't i guess i don't even know for sure how many years ago it started but you know we were just really lucky enough to to have a a place on on private land that that we could get started in the hunting and and getting going and you know we it was never anything you know, really special. It was not a lot of work put into to making it, you know, quality deer habitat. And, um, you know, going back a couple of years is when you and, um, and obviously the rest of us started to, to think about what we could do on the property to, to try to make it a, you know, a higher quality spot to, to get deer. So, you know, it was, um, a lot of, thought that went into it and and um you know we looked at at cutting out various shooting lanes you know think about the spot where i was able to harvest that deer and um you know that that started with um you know making a spot for your brother to to be able to to gun hunt from or um you know so you could have a little bit more time to see make kind of a funnel to come through there and um you know, so really that was that was the the start of it in that one particular spot but um, you know it's really gone on from there we 
added food plots in there that you know you personally seeded by hand and and you know put lime down by hand here this summer and you know picking out the right food plot products to put in there and you know going into you know where that buck came in for me um, you know he was heading to a, a water hole that but you with a by hand and a and a shovel on a hot day you know dug that sucker out by yourself and um, and got that thing placed in there so you know and, and that's just a little bit of of what's been done over the last couple of years right i mean it if you took it all the way back, you know, when I was little deer season was pretty much gun season. That's kind of what we did. And we didn't really yeah. bow hunt much. And then, you know, one day Ben being the kid that he was and still is, he just decided he wanted to get a bow. So I remember you guys got him, you know, one of those real youth bows. It's not a hunting bow at all, but he, he had that and started shooting. And then I ended up, being able to borrow a Matthews Genesis, which by today's standards is probably not even a legal um, <laughs> bow to be hunting with, but it's actually the the one deer that I've shot with a bow is with that Matthews Genesis at like five yards, almost point blank. So, um, yeah, I mean, really, like, like you said, over the past couple of years, we've had to almost teach ourselves a lot of the bow hunting aspect of things being that it's much more close quarters combat than it is with a gun. So, you know, putting stands in the right places and hunting the wind. I mean, hunting the wind, I think, is really, if you look at that, that would probably be the true ethos of when things really started to ramp up for us because we really only had, you know, one stand for each of us and we just picked our spots and then whatever weekend we were hunting, it didn't matter what wind direction was. We didn't really think about it that much. That's just where we hunted. And that's kind of what it was for a while there. Yeah. Yeah. For quite a while. And, you know, and, and to be honest, it doesn't really matter what stand you're in, you know, and what, which way the wind's blowing, you, you will have an opportunity for deer to come in upwind of you typically. Um, but, having the ability to to say hey i think the deer are going to be coming from this direction so you know we're going to be more mindful about where we sit so we're not gonna you know have those deer smell us a hundred yards away and and not come into any of the stands has been critical and and being able to have you know more interactions with deer and in situations that we might be able to harvest them from. So multiple stand sites and, um, you know, even, even where, even where we're going to put the stands, you know, still took a lot of work, whether, you know, it, it involves setting up licking branches in specific places or digging water holes, um, or, or, you know, using funnels where, where the deer are, are typically coming in from, you know, and, and even the stand that I used to, to harvest this buck has a much better tree stand setup. It was designed, you know, for bow hunting to be hunted from, from a tree stand and, and the wind 
was not right for that stand on that day, but we were lucky enough to have a gun stand that was close enough um, where we could utilize the wind and, uh, you know, ultimately be successful on that day. Right. That's a, a funnel with a water hole. So it's a really, really hot spot. Um, you're definitely going to see a lot of deer there. And like you said, that we have a tree stand that's set up 20, 25 yards from the water hole. That's perfect for a north wind. Um, you know, even northwest, northeast, anything like that is going to work. And we had wind basically out of the due south. So, you know, and then we have that gun stand that's set up perfectly for that wind to be able to hunt there. And it's kind of that, you know, gun crossbow hybrid where it's 45, 50 yards to the water hole. So it's doable for, you know, any of that stuff, but, um, just a regular compound bow isn't going to work. But yeah, I mean, I think back like even to, I want to say that would have been three years ago. Now the encounters that I had with Albert in that, that stand by the pond there. Um, and you know, he would come out back to back weeks, just back to back to back. He'd come out in that same spot and kind of take the same path. And I just remember being like, man, I wish I could just be like 60 yards over that direction and he'd be a dead deer right now. And I think that really is when we kicked off the idea of getting a couple more tree stands and really figuring out, okay, well, why was he traveling in that area? What was so special about that? Oh, it turns out that there's basically a highway of a trail that runs right through there. Let's get a stand on that and, you know, set it up for a certain wind. And then we kind of expanded beyond that and expanded our trail camera repertoire over the past couple of years. So it really has been a multi-year process of just really learning the property even though it is a small property, it's like 16 acres of woods and just opening it up and hunting in areas that we never hunted in and really learning the property has given us a lot more opportunities over the past couple of years. For sure. And, and, you know, plenty of that comes with, um, you know, the cellular cameras or, or the trail cameras that are out there and, um, and honestly, it was, you know, it, it kind of went from about where we wanted to be to having the deer tell us or show us where we need to be in order to be successful. Yeah, I know, like, when we first set up a couple of them, it was kind of like, you know, I, I had picked out certain trees, and you'd be like, really, that's the tree you want to be in? Like, you, you have basically, like, one shot out of this thing. And, you know, some of our best stands are those ones where you only get like one shooting lane. That's the spot. If you're going to shoot a deer, that's where it's going to be. But those end up being like some of our best stands because we're just so well hidden. We can hunt it on a certain wind that we know they're really not going to get behind us. And, you know, it's really worked to our advantage now. So far, so far. Well, it's certainly trending in the right direction. I mean, you know, we would go... There were quite a few years in there where, you know, from the time you started hunting to now where, you know, first of all, we don't have, didn't have a bunch of cameras out there and, and, you know, we didn't really see many bucks of any quality that were coming through, um, you know, in those stands. And, and once we're able to, to start to make some changes and, 
and get some more information on them and, and improve the improve the, the land with food plots and other things that you know all of those things together you know are now leading to where we're we're starting to see quality bucks show up on our cameras and then you know obviously a, a decent buck that came in um, you know for me last weekend so the the fruits of the labor are are, are finally starting to to show yeah it's it's definitely been a work in progress and it's gotten gradually better year after year i mean i i think the last time i shot a deer was six years ago the last time you had shot a deer up until last weekend was eight years ago um which was another buck kind of in that same area it wasn't out of that stand we hadn't built that gun stand yet so it must have been like a ground blind or something out of that same area but um yep ground blind probably 20 yards uh 20 yards south of where the current uh does right yeah Yeah, that's that's been a hot spot and i think i feel like the first buck that ben shot was out of that same area also yep that certainly was yeah so yeah it's 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 produced for us that spot has for sure but to get it on more of a regular basis and not even so much with harvesting but having the encounters I think we went a lot of years there where we just weren't even really seeing deer, you know, does and fawns, let alone bucks and and maybe young bucks, let alone mature bucks that we might want to shoot. There's a couple of years there where we just really weren't having those encounters. And then we transitioned into a couple of years where we got better and we started having those encounters. And now it feels like we've put ourselves in a position where maybe we can have those encounters and then also turn those into harvests. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and, and part of it too is not having those encounters. It's hard to harvest a mature buck. You know, like they, they're, they made it through a season or two or three or however many, you know, for a reason. And, and they get that much smarter. And um, just personally, back on it now this is the first harvest in in several years there but last year i had a i had a golden opportunity at shooting a buck even you know bigger than than this one ended up being but you know my to some extent my lack of experience with you know encounters there and and just how how prepared you need to be in those situations you know we just didn't have that experience there before so you know, it also took uh, a couple of failures on my part, you know, and learning from those, you know, to ultimately be able to, to harvest a, a decent buck. Yeah, yeah, that's that's another good point. But then, I mean, obviously, you know, we, we have these improvements that we've made over the years and the trials and, and tribulations, and it all kind of led into this past weekend here. Well, I mean, I should say that we're just starting with this season. Um, we could even go back to the, the summertime. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I kind of had a more negative feeling on this summer than I had previous years. I feel like we had a lot more bucks showing up throughout the summer, especially towards the end of summer, like August into September when they kind of start making that switch over to their fall ranges, I felt like we had had 
much better years in the past couple of years than we did this year. So I was a little bit discouraged based on trail camera pictures this summer. For sure. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, we have the evidence of that and, and our save photos and those kinds of things. But yeah, we've, we had, we've had many years where more bucks and bigger bucks and, uh, you know, those bachelor groups coming in and hanging out and, you know, being around fairly regularly and, you know, really just building up that excitement for the upcoming season. Like, you know, we, we got these deer around and, uh, and we didn't have much of that this summer. You're a hundred percent right. You know, it was a, a sporadic, you know, sure buck that would come through occasionally or, you know, some, some, you know, smaller, smaller bucks that are cruising through in groups that, that we might see that, oh, you know, there's some signs of life and, and this and that, but there, there was not a ton um, of positive sign for sure on the, on the cameras this summer. Well, the, you know, the buck that you ultimately shot that since then, I think we've affectionately named Lowrider. Um, he was like the only one to me that when he showed up on camera, I knew exactly which buck that was. Whereas right. I feel like if one, if, if one showed up on our cameras tonight, even if he had been there at another time throughout the summer, I wouldn't really know which one it was. I'd have to go and look back and try to match it up because I feel like Lowrider was the only one that showed up regularly enough to where you could really pinpoint, okay, that's the same buck. And he wasn't super regular, but he was the most regular out of all of them to where we could recognize him at least. For sure. Yeah. And, and like you said, there'd be a, you know, some, some random mature bucks that would come through like, Oh, well, is that the, you know, is that this 10 or is that the, you know, a bigger eight or whatever? And just, just not enough information to, you know, print them out and put on the wall and, and, uh, you know, name the whole herd. We certainly didn't have any opportunity to do that. No, we, we definitely did not. But, you know, so then that kind of paints the picture leading into opening weekend. I don't think we were really, um, you know, going into opening weekend the way that some guys would be where they have a shooter that is coming into the same stand getting its picture taken on the same trail camera every day at the same time. And they're kind of going in on an ambush mission. I know for a lot of people, that's their early season situation, but I think for us, it was more so like, well, we haven't really seen a ton here on the cameras. Obviously they don't tell the whole story, but for the most part, it's a safe bet that we're not just littered with mature bucks. So I think we were really in there opening weekend to maybe try to shoot a doe. Well, yeah, I mean, that was certainly on the table um, to do that and to to start to manage that herd a little bit because that's something that, you know, we haven't done much of either in the past. But, you know, I, I think, a, you know, an important part of that bef- before getting into just that opening weekend is um, that the property really isn't one that has ever had mature bucks living there that, that we could say for sure that, Oh, Hey, well, you know, Larry, Larry lives here and that's why we see him so often. You know, it's, there's a lot of, of, um, 
of good land around there that, that those bucks can live in. And, uh, you know, we've, it's been more of a, a summertime spot for them down there, but, but we never, we never have those bucks that live on the property. So it's, it's a matter of, um, you know, trying to create the situation where, uh, when they come through or, or getting them to come through with water holes and, and food plots and those kinds of things. Um, and be in the right place at the right time because because we're not just going to probably ever be able to just start to name name those bucks that live on the property and and get them timed out to to just go to a stand and and harvest them yeah that is a good point i think albert when we had those run-ins with him was living on the property for like one week or two weeks maybe or 10 days i think he truly was like essentially living there but aside from that, you're right. We we really are never going into a, a season or even going into a weekend saying, okay, this buck is living here right now. He's showing up every single day at the same time. We just have never had that. Yeah. I know. I think you're right about Albert because he, he was definitely definitely a, a regular for a while there. So he might have taken up residence. Yeah, but yeah, for the most part, it's more of a transitional area, and we can have periods of time where we're seeing different bucks or even the same buck, you know, using that property um, on a fairly regular basis. But for whatever the reason was this summer, and I don't think, I mean, I don't think we put like a ton of pressure on it this summer, certainly. Um, I don't know if there was just too many does and fawns living there that. They didn't like it. I mean, it is pretty thick in there, and I know during the summer when they have their velvet on, they don't like to be in those super thick areas, but then come late August, early September, when they're shedding their velvet, you would think that they would make that switch then to those thicker areas, which for the past maybe two or three years was happening for us, and then this year it just didn't. So I don't know what happened there, but it wasn't looking good. It was not looking good, and and you know, furthermore, it was uh, the area where we are able to hunt there also was declared a a D four drought area this summer. So, um, you know, going into that opening weekend, we it hadn't rained. You know, I don't know three tenths of an inch maybe within the last month or something uh, around the property. So that's certainly you know. I'm sure changed some of the things, some of the patterns uh, for the deer, you know, certain crops weren't growing as well or food plots didn't come up or water sources dried up and they had to move on. So um, it certainly, it certainly did change things. And then, you know, we roll into town and next thing you know, uh, (laughs) we get rain. Yeah, that was, that. that was by far the worst part of opening weekend was that rain that I remember going into it, you know, we, we were like, well, we're not going to miss opening weekend. We're going to be there. And I would say like 10 days up to seven or eight days beforehand, no rain in the forecast. And then as it started to get a little bit closer, he texted me that there was rain in the forecast and I hadn't seen it at all. So then I look at that and I'm like, okay, well, that's interesting. That kind of sucks, but whatever. And then fast forward to like three, two, one days before, 
that had all gone away. So then there was no rain in the forecast. Yeah. Yeah, we thought we were just going to be, you know, high and dry, warm temperatures, you know, for which is, you know, we can expect that in mid-September. It was going to be warm, but we certainly weren't uh, worried about rain spoiling our hunt, that's for sure. Right, and I, I didn't see any deer that morning. I don't think you did either, but I know we each bumped some on our way in. I had does and fawns blowing at me like crazy on my walk in. Yeah, and I did too. I had I had deer blowing at me, and um, not enough where I heard them scurry away or anything. But um, they certainly certainly knew I was there and and heading in. But yeah, I don't that morning. Uh, yeah, I don't think we saw. I don't think we laid eyes on on any deer. No, and then you know we back out of there and go and have lunch. Um, at, at one of the places that we used to go quite often um, when we had access on a, another piece of private over there. Um, and then, I mean, if you would have asked me at like 1 p.m. if it was going to rain that night, I still would have told you no. I don't even know if the radar was telling you that it was going to rain at 1, but by 2, it was raining. Yeah, yeah, it certainly was, and... Um, you know, it, it, and then it, and then it, you know, it started to rain or at the house and not raining terribly hard, but you know, you still got all your stuff there and, and you're going to go climb up in a tree and, and how many hours do you want to sit in the rain before, before it stops? So, you know, we're keeping an eye on the radar and like, oh, well, you know, it looks like maybe it's going to rain for another 20 minutes or so. And then you know, there's going to be a little break and then it's going to rain for, you know, maybe another 45 minutes, maybe an hour tops or something like that. So, you know, we made our plan to, to go in there and, and, uh, and hunker down for that afternoon hunt. But it didn't quite turn out to be just a 45 minute rain. No, I think originally when we were like, all right, well, it's going to be 45 minutes. Let's get dressed and, you know, get everything to the truck. That'll take us half an hour. Drive to the property. It'll take us a minute and a half. But then, you know, the walk-in, get set up in the stand. By that time, those 45 minutes will have passed and we'll be, like, set up, you know, bows on the hangers, cameras on their stands and everything, like, ready to go when the rain finally stops. Um, and like you said, that certainly did not happen. Um, I ended up getting in, I got to the tree stand that is set up on that water hole. Um, and I got up there and I'm seeing a considerable amount of lightning (laughs) and it's raining on me pretty hard. And I brought my rain jacket, which was a tremendous help but it was not uh, perfect at keeping everything dry. Um, So I actually climbed that stand, sat up there, and was ready to just kind of hunker down, hoping it was going to pass through. And then eventually the rain and the lightning and everything got to be a little bit too much where I was like, okay, I better climb down. And then I actually went and stood in that, stand that you sat in this past weekend to shoot that buck um and i stood there with basically just the door open and all the windows closed 
for what ended up being like three hours. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and while you were doing that, I climbed in a different uh, elevated gun stand uh, that I also used to, to bow hunt out of that had a metal roof and uh, metal sides. So, you know, as you're seeing that lightning from up in your tree, I'm seeing that lightning from inside a metal box uh, that's elevated above the ground. Um, so that was a little disconcerting. And, and uh, beyond that, you know, being in a thunderstorm for three hours under a tin roof, uh, you know, I felt like I was, I don't know, living inside of a popcorn popper or something. Not to mention I also was sitting underneath an oak tree with uh, acorns, which is a good thing, uh, but with wind and rain, um, you know, those acorns also make uh, quite a bit of racket on that roof. Yeah, so it, it kind of foiled our plan a little bit of getting in there and then the rain dying down and then, oh, the deer are going to be up on their feet, you know, because to us on the radar, it would show rain's going to be over in 15 minutes. And I remember when I was sitting in that stand, I didn't really have enough service to check the radar, but I had enough service to send a text to you. And you ended up having somehow just enough service to check the radar. So you'd tell me 15 more minutes those 15 minutes would go by no change in the rain. It's still coming down. And I text you and be like, well, what's going on here? And then you'd say 15 more minutes or another half an hour or whatever. And it just kept getting pushed longer and longer and longer until it ended up being like three hours. Yeah. What, you know, what ended up happening was we ended up being very close to the center of the low pressure system and, and the rain just instead of moving, like it's typically going to do from west to east, it just kept circling around us and circling around us and more rain would form and circle around us. And, um, and, you know, and just to add a little bit to that. So then I also had my dad, your grandpa hunting a different piece of property, maybe six miles down the road and he didn't have enough service for the radar either. So, I was kind of the go-between between, between uh, both of you, not really knowing what was happening and, and whether we needed to, you know, get out of there. Because, you know, there was a significant amount of lightning and thunder and the clouds were black. And, and it was really just a matter of whether the wind was going to um, pick up a bunch or not. And we, we thought it was going to be over and we were going to be in our stands in plenty of time and the deer would have plenty of time to come out and, uh, you know, shake it off and and uh start moving around and and we just got foiled we ended up with maybe i don't know 45 minutes to an hour at the end of the evening where it wasn't raining but by that time you know we figured it just didn't quit soon enough to get those deer on their feet before dark at that point you know they just waited another half hour 45 minutes and and started milling around uh more at dark time yeah, I think that's exactly what happened. I think if it would have quit at like 4.30, we probably would have had some action that afternoon. But like you said, it didn't quit till 45 minutes, maybe an hour before shooting light. And at that point, they had been bedded down long enough and the cover of darkness was coming soon enough, especially after we had bumped them that morning and caused the ruckus. I think they just decided they were going to call it a night and that was it. And then, so, so I didn't see anything on opening day. And then the following day, 
that that morning I didn't see anything either. I think you maybe saw a fawn or something. I think that was about it. Yeah, it, it might have been a fawn or a pair of fawns or something like that 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 I ended up seeing. So, you know, for having we didn't have super high expectations, but we had the feeling that you know we're for sure gonna probably get opportunities at at those and. And there's a couple that need to be taken off of that property anyway, so I think we felt okay about that. But the way the – well, I also had early morning fog on on, uh, on those days as well. So between the fog and the, and the thunderstorm, the whole opening weekend uh, was kind of a dud. Yeah, it wasn't great. And then to bridge that gap between opening weekend and um, this past weekend here – you know, I had my normal work week, and then Friday night, um, I made the trip up to go and hunt with Jake, and we were covered up in does and fawns that whole night, and then the following night, um, I was no longer hunting with him, but he was out, and that's when he ended up shooting Junkie, which was a buck that he had on camera quite a bit throughout the summer, um, and it was definitely one of his top three target bucks for the year. So that was obviously another video that went out there that was super cool. So if you haven't seen that one, that one is live at this point. Um, so you should go check that one out. But that was, you know, that was a, a cool weekend. Um, I was glad I got to be at least a small part of that, uh, that story there. But just a little bit of hunting for me. And then once again, a normal work week. And then came into the this past weekend and I think you were probably out a couple times on public land uh, closer to home throughout those two weeks yeah no I I got out maybe a couple of times each week and um, you know a nice public spot close to here and we're out there and again you know not seeing a ton of deer but a couple of mature bucks that, that had come through there so sitting there with you know somewhat decent hopes that that i'd see something and you know about the same deal i'd see a a fawn or or something like that never never got to lay eyes on a buck didn't even get to see any turkeys you know we've got turkey permits and in a couple of different zones too at this time and you know back of our minds we're thinking hey you know we can we can at least maybe get one of those too and and uh, you know nothing yeah, no, and that that public spot is covered up in turkeys. You're if you get pictures from cameras out there, you're likely to have a greater chance at seeing a picture of turkeys than you are deer. For sure, for sure, and and they just disappeared. You know, they there's a couple of stands of woods around there that they roost in and and mill around in, and I guess they they took the two weeks off from that spot and were were somewhere else. Yeah, so it was just slow in general, but then, you know, fast forward to this past weekend and looking at the weather once again, um, there was never any rain in the forecast, and luckily we didn't end up with any, um, but it was going to be ungodly hot, like yeah. 85 degrees, and we knew that all along. That was not a surprise. Um, it, it was kind of interesting as the week rolled on, and we, you got to see further and further into the future on the forecast. Um, and looking at this weekend that we're about to have where it's like a 30 degree drop in temperature 
between like two days. It's going to drop like 10 degrees and then another 20 degrees. Um, so kind of looking at that and going, oh boy, that, that uh, is like the textbook prime weekend to get yourself out in the woods. What should we do about this weekend where it's going to be 85? You know, should we be going out? Should we just wait and keep the pressure off till the next weekend? What do we do? Yeah. And, you know, I just, just looking around at, at even, you know, some other buck fever guys or, or other people that we know that are, are bow hunters. Most of them took most or all of last weekend off due to those high temperatures. You know, it was just probably wouldn't, uh, we certainly wouldn't call it an ideal weekend to, to be out in the bow woods. That's for sure. No, but we had seen plenty of pictures of, you know, those dozen fawn groups that were showing up still throughout the week. So I think it was almost like going into it thinking it was going to be like a reset of what opening weekend should have been, where it was going to be a little bit warm, but we didn't think it was going to rain, and we thought we'd have a good chance at some dozen fawns. I think that was my mentality going into it was, Still not necessarily expecting to have, you know, bucks roaming around like crazy, but hopefully just a decent weekend to have a shot at a doe. Yeah, and it, was, it was maybe we shoot a couple of does this weekend, and then, you know, it's going to be all set up for us to, to sit tight on some bucks coming in uh, with this cold weather that's coming up this weekend. Yeah, exactly. And then that, that kind of leads into one of the cooler details of the the video and the story from this past weekend is that I want to say it was at about 12.38 in the morning, um, so just after midnight, we had that 10-pointer that lowrider show up on one of our trail cameras, and we hadn't seen him nor had we seen even a single buck on any of our trail cameras for two, three, four weeks between there. And he just shows up shortly after midnight. And we didn't even know it until we woke up to go hunt on Saturday morning. Yeah, 5 a.m. alarm. And, and uh, you know, I know one of the first things I always do, I it's probably the first thing I do after I, I turn my alarm off is... Uh, Let's go to that spy point app and and see what's been going on and where overnight and and that was uh, that was quite a nice surprise to to see him show up there at a little after midnight and then you know gives you a, it, it gave us some some real hope you know for that day but at the same time you know it's the time of year that you know these bucks are they're moving around whether they're they're in their groups or they're or they're starting to sniff out those or whatever. And so even though we saw them, you know, on that camera, certainly wasn't a guarantee that we were going to be seeing them again, you know, over the weekend or even for a while, the way that the pictures have been working out. Right. I think that was a good way of putting it. I think we saw the picture and still we're sticking with the status quo. Like plan doesn't change. We're still in here hopefully for a couple of does, but cautiously optimistic that maybe we'd have an encounter or like you said with the cold front coming up maybe that just means that he's going to be around and and available for that following weekend right yep 100 percent. 
So then obviously we head out there and I saw my first deer of the season on that property. Um, Doe and two fawns came in like maybe three minutes after I had the camera set up. So like I finally got everything set up, situated. I'm sat down, quiet, not moving. Kind of at that point where it's still so dark, you're just fighting the urge to fall back asleep. Um, and I could just kind of feel the presence like you sometimes can where you're like, I it just, you feel it. And sure enough, I had them at like 10 yards um, and they popped out. This is like 15, 20 minutes before we have camera light. So I filmed the whole thing. There's zero seconds of usable footage, which is also why I didn't take a shot. There was plenty of opportunities where, you know, I could see that it was a mature doe and I could, you know, have taken the shot, but to get the pin on there, it, it wasn't, wasn't right. Wouldn't have been ethical. So that's why there was no shot there. But I had that encounter that morning, and then I ended up having a second encounter in daylight, which will be in the video. There's plenty of usable footage um, with that same group that morning. And uh, still no shot. Didn't quite get that to happen. But it was good that I actually saw a couple deer for a change. And I think that morning you also had a couple encounters. Yeah. And in fact, you know, and that was something that had me actually a little bit negative coming back in after, after morning sit, because I had a doe and, and, uh, and a couple of bonds, as it turned out, come right down the waterway. Uh, I could hear them, you know, maybe 20 yards away from, from the stand. And I got the camera out and I got the camera on and, and and what turned out to be two fawns they just kind of trotted right in front of my stand probably seven yards uh, out of my stand uh, so it gave me a, a great look and I thought boy you know at least I at least I got them on camera and uh, you know we end up going back to the house later that day and looking through footage and some to in the video maybe i'm not sure if it'll make the cut but it'll be in there i'm not a i'm not a great uh i don't claim to be a great cameraman or a great hunter but i thought i could at least get you know those three deer that were seven yards away from me on camera and as it turns out uh, i could not so i did did see those deer and uh but that that wasn't the coolest encounter for me that morning we actually had uh something really neat neat happened that morning yeah and that, and that was um you know we've had a bobcat a resident bobcat that we've had on on camera over the last several years but maybe only uh you know it started off being a, a time or two maybe a year that we would get this thing on camera like oh you know cool bobcats here and um and then uh last year sitting in the stand i actually laid eyes on on the bobcat i was sitting there and he he took one little hop into the the trail and then one more hop into the corn and you know so i got eyes on him for maybe two seconds uh, which i thought was pretty cool but then uh last weekend on saturday morning that little sucker he he was uh trying to sneak through and and he uh went through the food plot and 
and uh, you know milled around by the water hole a little bit and and I was lucky enough to to get him on camera for you know more than a minute so for me I got gotta be honest if if that's all that would have happened last weekend I would have been I would have been happy as a lark because we'd never been able to really get much footage at all and and just to be in the woods and, and see an animal like that with your own eyes that most people don't get that opportunity. I mean, my my weekend was pretty made already um, just by having that bobcat encounter. Yeah, for sure. That uh, that that was pretty sweet. I've never seen him in person, but like you said, he. I feel like he's been there as long as we've hunted that property. We've had, you know, maybe it started with one or two pictures a year, and then it's gotten increasingly more common to see him on camera. I feel like this year he's been on camera more than ever. Um, and, and then obviously, you know, your encounter with him sort of solidifies that like, this is the most we've seen of him. And like you said, just being so rare and most people not really getting to see one like that. That's been super cool. Yeah. And we've even gathered, you know, a little bit more information on him because before I was able to, to film him, he was at a, a licking branch site that, that we have pictures, uh, cameras on. And, you know, I think both of us are, are pretty sure that the picture that we have of him there is of him getting a squirrel. He, he's down on the ground and, and it looks like he's got a, a squirrel that he's wrestling with, but because he's moving and the squirrel's moving, you know, it's not totally clear, but we're, we're pretty sure he was there hunting. And then, um, you know, and even since then, we got another picture of him carrying food in his mouth by that water hole. So, and I say him, I have no idea if it's a, a male or a female bobcat, but, um, but yeah, just, just being able to see him and, and, um, you know, know that we're sharing the woods with an animal like that. I, you know, that's a pretty cool deal. Yeah, absolutely. And somebody who watches the video maybe would be able to tell the difference between a male or a female bobcat and maybe leave a comment and let us know. Um, but the reason I feel like he would probably be more likely to be a male is assuming that's the same one that we've had over and over and over again, there's never any babies. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, if it was a female, there's a higher chance that it would be, you know, searching to get bred whenever bobcats breed and, having babies with it and whenever. So that kind of leads me to believe that it's a lone male. That's just kind of off doing his own thing. I don't really know, but that's, that would be my best guess. Well, if I ever get close enough to him, I'll just lift up one of his back <laughs> legs and find out for sure. Yeah. I hope you don't get that close to him. Cause that's me. That would mean he's probably in your tree. <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah. But so you had a kind of a rare altogether weekend of sightings because you saw something kind of rare before that. And then we went to get lunch after the Bobcat sighting. And then you saw that same critter again. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think we'd been talking about it at, at different times and, um, how rare it is these days that we see a Fox and driving over that weekend on Friday evening, um, you know, I was maybe halfway between home and, and where we hunt and, and I'll be darned if, uh, you know, a beautiful Fox runs out across the road, plenty, plenty far in front of me. And, um, 
you know so already i i thought wow you know this seeing stuff that we don't typically see and um you know and then had the bobcat that morning and then and then we go and grab lunch and we're driving back and you know totally different part of the state and sure enough you know we're driving along and they're like oh there's a cat and it takes off you know back across the road nope it's a second fox so you know it's saturday morning by uh, you know or saturday by noon and already by that time in the last 18 hours i had got to see two foxes and a and a bobcat so uh, it was off to a heck of a start yeah i don't quite know the math on the rarity of that but i would think that to, to see two separate foxes and a bobcat in 18 hours like that has to be statistically speaking a, a pretty rare phenomenon to occur um yeah, I would think so. Yeah, and then when you factor in the way that the rest of the weekend goes, especially with our track record of shooting deer at all, but shooting bucks, um, you had a, a pretty pretty rare weekend there. But I think I think we should kind of get into it. I, I know my Saturday night, I saw that doe and two fawns once again um, before all of this other stuff happened. Um once again, no shot, but then, uh, then the exciting part. Yeah. And, you know, we got back into the woods plenty early, you know, it was, I know it was before three o'clock that we were sitting there. It might've been two forty-five or something. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I crawled into that stand and again, you know, it's mid eighties. Um, you know, there's, I'm in an enclosed stand um you know with with one opening that i'm using and and i you know literally sat there staring out that one window for almost four hours roasting sweating you know and and uh and not really seeing a thing and and then uh then things got a little bit exciting i um you know i about 640 ish i guess um I could see out through an opening, I, I could see a deer out, out in a field, not on our property, but on the adjoining property uh, where there was corn that had, had been chopped not that long ago. And um, I saw a deer and, you know, immediately grabbed the binoculars and, and put them in the binoculars and, and I saw antlers and I didn't see it, you know, what kind of antlers, how big they were, was like, you know, that that's an adult deer and that's a buck. And just as quickly as I had grabbed the binoculars, I set them back down and I and I reached over to grab the crossbow and, and get that ready just in case. And and by the time I looked back up in the matter of those two seconds, that deer uh, had come through the funnel um right into the food plot that we've got there um and started moving towards me and and he you know as you're gonna see in the video he he got past the brush that was there and uh presented himself and and i was pretty certain that that was lowrider as soon as as soon as he got into the opening so um and you know and then that's when the fun starts i guess um but he, he, he moved in, 
you know, pretty, he wasn't running. He was just walking at a steady pace and, and came in there into the food plot. And um, by the time I, you know, identified him uh, and, and was ready, he stopped right, you know, 45 yards away from me. And in between the stand and the food plot, there's one tree and it's maybe a eight inch in diameter tree, not a big tree. Um, and he stops right there. And in, in the, the video, it doesn't appear this way, but from the angle that I was sitting at, he stopped in the one that, that eight inch diameter tree was covering, you know, where his heart and lungs are. And, you know, so I could see, I could see plenty of rump and I could see plenty of uh, his neck and, and head and antlers and I couldn't get a shot. And, you know, I was at the point, and, it, and of course it was only, you know, I don't know if it was two seconds or five seconds or how long he stood there, but it was to the point where I was like, well, I, I think I can sneak a bolt, you know, just to the right of that tree and, you know, and, and get where I need to be on that deer to make a good shot. And, you know, I was considering that and, you know, by the time that I, I worked that out and, and was considering taking that shot he started to move again and you know it he took he took two steps maybe and and at that point you know I was thinking gosh am I gonna have to take a shot at this deer while he's walking or you know am I gonna you know try to to make a little you know bleat at him or or grunt I had a grunt tube there too to to stop him and and by maybe that third step um as he was heading to the water hole, um, he stopped and, and stopped broadside for me. And 45, 45 yards away, um, and, you know, I, I felt pretty good about the shot. I, you know, I put in a little bit more practice this year and, you know, had the distances right and had my pins right and, and took the shot and, and, felt pretty decent about it and when I when I did I, I thought I heard it hit and it it sounded a little hollow like you know it it got into that rib cage area where it needed to be and um, he took one or two bounds into the brush and uh, and that was the last that I saw of him for that time so um, you know and then it's then it's the the unknown right? One, did, it, did I hit him good? Did, did he get on film? Did he, right? And, you know, we got 15 minutes before it gets dark. And, and then after that, it's, uh, it's give you a text. Yeah. So, I mean, that really illustrates too, like the purpose of that water hole in there too. Obviously, you know, who knows, maybe he was coming into that specifically. Maybe he wasn't, Based on the way he was moving, my guess is he probably wasn't. But when he got to that point, and that water hole is right there, because we placed it in that funnel like that, you know, they're they're pretty much going to stop at it every time they go through there because why not? It's a chance to get a quick drink, and you know, then move on with the rest of their rest of their day. And so, just that little bit where they're stopping and going towards that water hole. Um, is specifically the reason why you have that there because it, it 
can end up giving you that chance at a shot. So it pretty much worked out to be the textbook situation for how you'd like that to go. A hundred percent. He, when he walked in, he was not walking towards that water hole. He was walking straight, straight down the food plot and, and he stopped. And I, you know, at that point he's just, you know, started to, he had to change his angle about 45 degrees to, to go over and check out that water hole. And, and I'm convinced, you know, and you'll see in the video too, I'm convinced that he was heading directly to that water hole at that point to get a little drink on his way by. So had he not done that, you know, I'm stopping him. He's, he's quartering towards me. Um, you know, he's not, not providing nearly as good a shot. Um, as as he did so that that water hole was the key right so i actually saw as i was standing there i was texting back and forth with you texting back and forth with gabby and with jake um you know all separate conversations but gabby's asking me what we're seeing kind of going back and forth with jake about what everybody's seeing and he said he hadn't seen anything and he probably wasn't going to shoot a doe at that point and then you know i asked him if he was going to go out sunday and he said no so he was done for the weekend. I knew Colby and Eli weren't out, so I'm kind of sitting there almost a little bit discouraged at that point, thinking like, okay, well, um, you know, from a buck fever content standpoint, like, this is this is it. Like, it's going to be on you and me to try and get something here to, to have our next video. Um, and literally right as all that's going on, I get a picture from the waterhole. And then I get a text and I, I didn't know that it was a picture from the water hole. And I, I felt my phone buzz telling me it was a text, but I didn't know who it was from. It could have been from, you know, a, a couple of different people. So I didn't check it right away. And then I eventually did pull my phone out of my pocket, take a look at it. And that's when I saw, Oh, it's a trail camera picture from the water hole. And you were the one who texted me. So I thought, okay, well that's, uh, that's probably something here. I didn't necessarily know that that was going to be a buck that just went down. Um, I, I thought, well, maybe at the very least it's a doe that came by and you know, who knows, maybe it's on its way to me. Um, so then I, I open up the text from you cause it's going to take forever to load the picture from the water hole. And you said shots fired. And then I'm like, okay, well, I, I wonder what that was at. And then you said, I think I just stuck that 10 pointer and then, you know, whatever. And, um, so then I ended up calling you and I ended up trying to look at the, the picture from the trail camera. And it turns out you couldn't see anything in it. I don't know if it was just the arrow as it went by that it triggered it or something happened. Um, I, I think we had it pointed too far upwards and, and we didn't have it kind of in, in the right position. Um, after we had adjusted it earlier that weekend. So I don't know what was going on with it, but it ended up not being anything, but still being something all at the same time. Um, but once I got those texts from you, then I just called you right away. And, um, you know, the excitement was super high and we were kind of going back and forth and you seemed to feel pretty good about your shot and everything. And um, so, you know, you, you convinced me to sit tight until dark um, cause there was still more deer out in the field milling around and whatever. And, um, so I, I did sit tight and I ended up not seeing anything. Um, not really caring that I didn't see anything obviously, cause I had bigger, 
fish to fry here. I had other things on my mind. Um, but, you know, I uh, darkness rolled around, and I packed up just about as quick as I could and started heading your way to at least go and try to find first blood. I think that was really our thought process there. We weren't trying to find him at that point. We were just trying to find first blood. Yeah, and, you know, again, you you, you think you make a good shot, and, you know, even oh, I think I heard it hit a, hit a, you know, in the rib cage area somewhere and, and whatever, but obviously you don't know any of that until you start looking around. And, um, you know, so you got there, and and we, we edged our way over there. And, again, it, it's, it was only 45 yards, so we just kind of, to work our way over there and had flashlights and such and, and looked around and, um, you know, there wasn't any blood right where I, I thought the shot was. And, you know, it, it didn't take, you know, maybe 30 seconds or a minute of looking around and, and we finally saw that first spot of blood. And, you know, obviously when that happens, uh, you know, then the dynamics change a little bit, then, you know, you're, know you're on to something so you know we started sniffing around a little bit more right in that that uh, grassy area and all right we got another spot here oh there's another spot right here but nothing major um, and, but literally sure. literally right within those five yards like from where if i stood where we started the track job and you stood where we inevitably ended it that first time we could have reached out and touch each other's hands yeah 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 we didn't uh we didn't have a big search area because you know frankly where where the shot occurred and the direction that the deer bounded after that you know was in a you know very confined space there um you know with some brush behind it too so we you know we didn't we didn't have a ton of uh, different directions to look but um you know we found those first couple of spots of blood and and at that point, you know, we started to to scan a little bit with the flashlight just inside this little, you know, this treed area, um, scanning around. And, and I think you were the first one. You're like, hey, you know, flash, flash back there. I, I think I, I saw eyes. And, um, you know, sure enough, I adjusted the flashlights and adjusted our position a little bit to be able to see in that direction just a little bit better and um, he turned his head and and then we could see both eyes and, and see his antlers and and see him laying down in there so he at that point and you know so this is this is what a half hour 40 45 minutes maybe after the shot half hour i guess yeah um, and he had only traveled what 15 yards from where the shot occurred and, the, and that's Maybe. where he had laid down at most. it might not be that many yeah literally uh, on camera you can see like if you watch the video where you can no longer see him is exactly where he went down like the last moment where you can see his tail in the video you can't see him anymore because he went down literally right there like he took three steps and went down yeah and, and, and you know. to add to the flashlight situation, um, I was kind of thinking after I, I was like, hey, put that back up. And I feel like he kind of looked at me funny. And then 
a separate time I told you to put the flashlight back up and you kind of looked at me funny. I was like, Jesus Christ, what's going on here with this guy? Watching the footage back now that I took, I kept calling it the camera. So I told you multiple times, hey, put your camera back up. (laughs) Meaning, put your flashlight back up. But for whatever, like, because I was behind the camera, I think it was goofing me to where, like, my mind was just kind of racing at this point. And I'm, like, thinking about the camera because I'm holding the camera in my hands, trying to get the words out, telling you to put the flashlight up. But what came out was, hey, put your camera back up. And you had a flashlight in your hands, not a camera. So I think that's where you were. You kind of at least had like a half a second of like, what? I, oh, flashlight. Okay. So yeah, yeah. yeah that but, was that was goofy, but. Yeah, and I, you know, in the moment, I have no recollection of you telling me to put a camera up. So you know, just as scrambled as your brains were thinking uh, the flashlight's a camera, my brain was scrambled enough that I didn't even put two and two together that you were telling me I had a camera. So. You know, the excitement of it all is, you know, and a lot of it comes down to we haven't had a lot of experience there and, and there we're sitting in a, in, a, in a real good spot at that point where we've got blood, we've got eyes on the deer. Um, and so, you know, again, we, we just, we kind of had to move around a little bit because there were just little pockets where we could get the light in through where, where he was laying there and so, I wiggled around a little bit to get the flashlight on him and um and then he popped up and got up um you know he was not healthy uh you know kind of stumbling staggering a little bit um goes just out of this little clump of, of trees that we have and and um you know we we saw him walk through an opening you know, cause there's a little bit of light left at a mostly full moon that weekend. And, um, so we could see him go through and not walking very well at all. And, and, uh, you know, probably made it 20, 25 yards, something. And, and we heard him crash down again. So at that point, I think we made the right decision, um, to just back out and, um, you know, we decided to just go back to the house and look at the footage, see what kind of shot, maybe if any, first of all, did I even get it on camera? Um, and then see if, you know, we could tell where, where he was hit um, and regroup from there. Yeah. And we felt great when we found first blood. And then I think we kind of, when that all happened, felt a little bit, maybe a little bit more discouraged, but like to describe what it was like when he was laying there he had his head picked up he you know was moving his head around he wasn't dead but we had to get within like five yards of him before he even tried to move to get up so he obviously knew right where we were but he was silent and like wasn't getting up but then when we flashed you know had the flashlight on him that's what triggered him to get up but he couldn't it was the two thoughts across my mind were that he was either stuck because I know there's some barbed wire fence there that's partially up, partially down. So I thought maybe he's either stuck, like wrapped up in that to where he wants to get up, but he can't. And that's why he went down right there. He would have ran 100 yards maybe, but he got caught up in the barbed wire, went down, and he's stuck so he can't get back up. Or maybe you shot him like in the shoulder blade and you know he's got a broken leg, so he went down right there and can't get up because he was like trying to get up, trying to get up, couldn't. Finally, he does. 
And then, like you said, he, he could only make it, he could only muster up 20 yards and then he went back down. And as we ended up going back there and finding out, you know, he wasn't caught in anything. It, it was nothing like that. Also, we, you know, when we looked at the shot, it wasn't a shoulder shot. He literally was just in that rough a shape. He, he was moments from death. He just couldn't get up. Yeah. And, and during that time too, we, you know, we were looking to, to maybe put another bolt in him to, you know, put him out of his misery. You know, you don't want to see an animal suffer for any longer than they have to. And, and just the way that he was laying in there, he was laying, you know, pretty much body going away from us. And, and there was no way to, to wiggle around in there to, to try to get an, an ethical kill shot in on him. So, um, so that was certainly our first intention once we laid eyes on him, like, hey, can can we get him put out of his misery here as quickly as we can? And and by that time, you know, he, he staggered away. So so we go back and, you know, look at the footage and regroup and later and and a little bit more help and and then the waiting game. I tell you that was probably the longest, you know, forty five minutes or hour uh, I've had in quite some time. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, looking back on it now, I think had I showed up at your stand five minutes later, I think we would have found him dead right there. Um, but but then, you know, going back and looking at the footage and everything and you got perfect footage and you made a perfect shot. So I remember when we first watched through that and saw the shot, we both just reacted immediately like, yep, he's dead. He's dead. We, it was a celebration like we knew he was gone. It, it wasn't a bad shot at all. It was perfect. And we both knew he was dead. Um, and that really solidified things for me that, you know, kind of what we thought we heard where he got up, ran 20 yards, and we thought we heard him crash back down again. That that really solidified it for me where I was like, yeah, that's too good of a shot. He, I bet we're going to find him dead right where we last heard him crash. Yeah, and as it turns out, that's exactly what happened. I mean, he was, if I would have given you a map of that section of the property and had you put an X where you think he was going to be laying dead, um, that's exactly where he was at. He, he, you know, like I said, another 20 yards or so. And you know, that's, a, that's a pretty cool feeling to, you know, kind of, you know, snuck in there. Obviously, we, we don't know he's dead. Um, time going back in there we went to the first spot where we saw him and you know what kind of blood do we have here because there's no guarantees I mean we thought it was a good shot we thought right all of that stuff and but still there's no guarantees in that so we went to check and and we found where he was laying and there's pretty substantial blood there and you know and at that point we're like eh we, we saw you know where he walked last across so let's go out there and take a look and we got out to the field edge and shine flashlight down the, the first row of, of cut corn there and and there he was so yeah that was a cool moment that was the first time in a long time that we uh were walking up to a dead deer on that property let alone a dead buck and you know one of the nicer ones that we had like our our main guy pretty much you know one of the shooters yeah yeah and then you know at that at that moment you know, it, it's a little bit hard because 
because at that point too, and you know, it, and that was maybe eight forty-five, let's say, in that area, and you know, at that time, it's still probably eighty degrees. Yep. Maybe. And so, you know, there's there's a little bit of time for, you know, for excitement and, and emotion and that kind of stuff. But honestly, there there wasn't a whole bunch of time for it because we knew that, you know, if we're going to preserve meat and, and, and get this deer taken care of the way it needs to get taken care of, you know, honestly, that was kind of just the start of our evening. Yeah, for sure. That was, uh, that was the biggest part was finding them, but we knew that from there, um, the work was really going to begin. And, um, you know, one of the first things when we ended up gutting him out was trying to figure out where you did end up hitting him, you know, trying to find the heart and the lungs and see what actually got hit. So I remember when we finally got them all gutted out, you ended up hitting part of the heart and you hit, I think, both lungs. So I really have no idea how that deer ended up living. For I mean, he, he probably lived for 20 minutes after the shot, maybe 25. I don't even think it was a full half an hour, just based on the timeline of it all. Um, maybe Maybe a half an hour, but really incredible that, you know, these deer have the strength on, you know, a shot heart and lungs. I mean, he only made it. 15 yards and then he only made it a couple more after that but to to still be kicking after you know getting hit like that I don't know how he did it it's a real testament to you know the strength and and uh abilities that those bucks have um you know and and all of us have heard stories or seen stories of you know seeing a deer walk around with, you know, with an arrow in it or, or, you know, harvesting a deer and inside of it, you find, you know, a broadhead that from, you know, the year before or, or something like that. And, you know, you know, yeah, you know, maybe, I guess, you know, I guess that could happen or whatever, but, you know, when, when you, you take it down to that level and you're inspecting the organs and those kinds of things, and it really is a, a wow moment that that those deer have that kind of ability to, you know, that will to live. And, you know, that's something to, to certainly be respectful of, um, you know, when, when we're hunting these animals, like they're, they're not wimps. They're, they're, they're survivors. And it, it takes a, it takes a good shot and it takes um, a real good effort to, to be able to harvest one. Yeah. For sure. And then, like you said, an even uh, bigger effort after the harvest to preserve all the meat. Yeah, you know, and and we're just lucky enough with, uh, you know, your grandpa being right there with uh, not only his knowledge, but, you know, the facilities and equipment and those kinds of things that, that we had at our disposal really was about the only way that we were going to be able to ensure that, that, that we kept the meat, uh, in, in pristine condition. So, you know, we brought the gator down and it sure was nice only having to drag that deer about, I don't know, 20 yards, 15 yards or something from where he went down to where we're able to load him up in the back of that gator. And, um, 
you know, took him back to the farm. We, you know, we took time to, to take a couple pictures out in the field, but again, it, you know, we, we just didn't feel like we had a whole ton of time to waste at that point. So got him back to the farm and, uh, you know, laid him out, washed him out good. And, and, you know, had access to a, you know, to a, a machine to get him to get him up and, and lifted up and cleaned out. And again, you know, then we, we took a few more pictures at that point and, uh, and then it was time to really get to work. Um, you know, and both of us got a, got a good lesson again with, uh, with, with Papa's experience and, uh, you know, the number of deer that he's processed, we, we made the decision that the best thing that we could do is not parade them around and, you know, just pack them with ice and, and go here and there and show people and whatever the time was now to, uh, you know, to get us, uh, get them skinned and, um, and get them cleaned up and get them quartered and, and, uh, and get them into a freezer just as soon as we can. So that was, you know, that was more or less the next two or three hours of our evening. Yeah. Yeah. At least. And like you said, I mean, we've, we've needed them on some track jobs and dragging deer out and whatever. And it was less of that this time, but this was the most, uh, labor intensive process after the harvest that, that we've needed his help and expertise on, um, you know, getting, getting that meat preserved. So we're definitely very lucky to have him. And, and like you said, his, his expertise and knowledge in that and, and, the facilities and the equipment to be able to do it. Cause you know, even if they hadn't been there, if it was just the two of us trying to do that, we, we probably would have had to pack them with ice and try to get them home. I would think to try and get them into a freezer or something. Yeah. And you know, and, and it would have been doable, you know, uh, I think we'd have, we'd have probably headed into town and got a couple hundred pounds of ice and packed them inside and packed them outside and, and you know all that kind of stuff and and maybe we're able to get them somewhere that next day to to be taken care of but you know ultimately i think we made the right decision and um and uh you know now we're gonna have we're gonna have a a good healthy amount of fresh venison to to enjoy which is really the whole point yeah for sure Uh, i know i'm looking forward to getting that process i know we've got a plan in place to bone it out and get a couple of roasts and steaks and whatever out of it this weekend because it is you know all in a freezer um being cooled down right now so this weekend when we go back up there to hunt we're going to be processing all that so i'm looking forward to having some of that venison coming up here but um you know also still plenty of season left to come here to try and put some more on the ground yeah, and, and one more, you know, detail about that evening. So we go back to the farm. I look at the footage. We're getting packed up. We're, we're, we're all dressed. We got our boots on. We're making our plan to head out there and uh, get a trail camera notification. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, probably, uh, I don't know, I guess maybe 100, and, 100, 150 yards at the most from, from where I shot that buck, probably less. Um, probably one of the might be the biggest deer we've got on camera so far this year. Um, 
you know, year, just the yeah, this year for sure. Just a, a giant ten pointer that at least that we can make out. He was behind a tree with the picture. So, you know, here it is maybe an hour and a half since I had shot that one and and we got another even much bigger buck that shows up on camera. So um you know we were we were pretty excited about that and uh you know it gives us it gives us even that much more hope for this uh this coming weekend. Yeah, it was another season. Another weird little detail there where you know like we talked about seeing that the buck you shot at midnight the night before we went out there now all of a sudden this one shows up i think we hit the woods at like or we left the house maybe at 8 11 and the deer was on the trail camera at 8 15 or something so like just missed them by four minutes or, or something being there um and one we had never seen before just like the timing and the rarity and just the weirdness of the things that happened last weekend. I don't know what was going on, but it was just so weird that all of those little details kind of happened the way that they did. But yeah, that, I mean, I, I, we only have the one picture of him, and like you say, he's behind a tree and I'm not looking at it right now, but from what I remember, I probably would have put him as a one thirty five plus maybe one forty inch, uh, straight 10 point perfect with you know really nice g2s and g3s and i think he had decent brow tines and everything and a decent amount of math mass i mean that was uh a really 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 nice buck and a huge body i feel like he was fat yeah yeah he is a big boy and you know the nice thing is is he's still out there so you know, it's uh, we don't we don't have to worry about lowrider anymore. We 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 got that job done, and and now we we still got some other ones on the hit list. And you know, we're gonna enlist your brother back in the woods, get him out of his working schedule, and um, and get you back up in there, and and uh, you know, feeling pretty good about the rest of the season. I mean, the best part of the season is yet to come. Yeah, for everybody, but especially on that property, that that's undoubtedly the best time of year that we have is like mid to late October. Yeah. So we're we're kind of coming up on that plus a 30 degree cold front this weekend. Um, you know, with bucks starting to show up much more regularly than they had been. I know I'm pretty optimistic looking into the next couple of weeks of hunting here. For sure, it's nice to have it's nice to have one under our belt. It's been a while, um, you know, and and now we're just gonna keep building on that. And I think it's just a it's part of the natural progression of all the work that's been put into the to that property, all of the you know knowledge that that you've gained and and shared with me and shared with us, you know, over the last couple of years, um, you know, having Pat on the team and Eli and, and Jake and Terry and, um, you know, all of their experiences and, and what they do. And, you know, I know I've been learning from it and, and trying to incorporate, you know, some of that into, into what I do in the woods. Um, and though you have too, and, um, you know, 
it's paid some dividends already this year, which is fantastic. And, and I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity to, to cash in more on all that. Yeah, I agree. A hundred percent. Well, I think that, uh, that about sums up the story of Lowrider. I think it does. You know, there's, there's, uh, it's quite a story and, and I'm sure over time we're going to think of more stuff and more details and, and, and more things that happened. And, and maybe we'll, uh, we'll have an occasion maybe at the end of this season when we, when we, uh, look back on it, maybe we'll, we can touch base on uh, a couple other things. Yeah, that'd be sweet. And hopefully there's, uh, more bucks and more details to hash out when it's all said and done as well. I feel pretty good about it. I think uh, I think it's your turn next. Yeah, I hope so. I know I'm going to give it a good shot. Yeah, and you know, and and just to to wrap it up, the best part for me, you know, is is always just being in the woods with you, being in the woods with your brother, um, and mom comes out with us sometimes, and having Papa around there to to help. So you know. I couldn't be more happy and, and more blessed to be able to share the woods with you guys. And, and, uh, you know, I was really lucky this time and, and, uh, now I'm ready to, to really celebrate, you know, that's the thing. I hear you talk with these other guys about what's your, Oh, well, what's your, you know, your celebration drink and your whatever. We didn't get to celebrate. <laughs> we, we shot that sucker and we got into the house. I don't know if it was, that was probably midnight or 12, 15 by the time, you know, we got in there and cleaned up a little bit. And I think we looked at each other and said, did we even have supper yet? And, you know, the answer was no, you know, we didn't have any of that. So, um, so I'm looking forward to the next time, uh, this season when we, we do have one of those celebratory moments and, and we are definitely going to crack open a celebratory beer. Yeah, I sure hope so. I know I, I let the the rest of the Buck Fever crew know what was going down, and Jake asked if the Miller Lights were flying, and I said, no, buddy, we're, we've been cutting this thing up for like an hour and a half, and we got two and a half hours ahead of us, and Eli said, oh, you know, beer is a, a standard cutting tool, and like I, I don't even, we didn't even drink water. It's not like we were, you know drinking something other than beer we just had it was no drinks no no water no food no nothing it was just deal with the deer and then you know wait until enough of the adrenaline had wore off by about twelve thirty, maybe 1 a.m to where we could maybe get a couple hours of sleep and then just do it all over again right back at it 5 a.m yeah, so hopefully somebody will shoot one, uh, you know, Saturday morning, and then we can have a little bit more time to celebrate. Yeah, I'd, I'd vote for that. Yeah, me too, 100%. Um, so you heard it here first. That's the plan, Saturday morning. We're going to try and put another one on the ground, but, um, yeah, that that was the, the story of Lowrider here, so... Um, even better than this podcast episode, although it, it, to me, I think it was a very good episode. I know I enjoyed it, but, um, 
to be able to see it and, you know, see all the footage from this weekend. The video is going to be coming out on the Monday at five o'clock following the release of this podcast episode here. So you're definitely going to want to stay tuned for that one. Um, it, it's, it's going to be a good one. Like I said earlier, I'm already into the editing phase of that. Um, it's, it's looking like it's going to be a pretty sweet video with a lot of footage. Um, and I hope we were able to fill some of the gaps here and, and really tell the full story and, and do it all justice. So um, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. We really appreciate it. Hit the like button on this episode and stay tuned, not only for the video of Lowrider, but um, hopefully for many more videos to come yet this season. So thank you guys once again, and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Mom. <laughs>